Think for a minute. What gives you joy in life? Some of you who are uh, big NFL fans uh, saw that uh, Tom Brady retired, or maybe retired, uh, at age 45. And I was reminded of an interview after his third Super Bowl win. He won seven. Uh, In 2005, there was an interview with a guy named Steve Croft from 60 Minutes. And I think I put the uh, quotes up for you here. In the middle of the interview, here's what Tom Brady says. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? And then Steve Croft asks, asks this great question. What's the answer? He says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. I love playing football, and I love being a quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. I know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with great people. I think I get more out of that than anything. And from that point of that interview to today, he went on and won some more Super Bowls. And you'd think, Tom Brady has arrived. He's achieved everything of the American dream. And he's wealthy and has all these things. But he didn't have a true answer to really uh, joy in his life. He alluded to being happy. And the question for you is, are you happy today? Are you joyful? Or do you even know the difference between the two? Uh, There's a well-known phrase in our Declaration of Independence. See if you can finish this. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. Happiness. It's woven into the fabric of the United States of America. It's your inalienable rights given to you by God that the governments are not supposed to take away from you. You're raised in America as a person who is to pursue happiness, to pursue joy, to pursue pleasure in this world. And many people experience happiness but never have true joy. Many people experience that happiness comes and goes uh, and never understand that there is true joy that never ceases, that's never ending, and it's ever growing. And so the question is, do you have true joy? Do you know what true joy is? Or is your life based on finding and pursuing happiness? As we look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 this morning, The scriptural truth from the text is this, that true joy is found in Jesus Christ and is evidenced in the community of his people. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense 
of defense and confirmation of the gospel, the word of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word to give us understanding and growth in the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this morning that true joy would be found in our hearts because of Christ. And Father, for any who do not have that true joy, I pray today would be the day of salvation and that you would flood their hearts with joy in Christ. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bless the reading and we ask that you bless the preaching of the word and you would work upon our hearts that we would live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing for this sermon this week on Friday afternoon, A friend of mine calls, and I see on the screen, Steve Shangra. And I was like, dude, Pastor Steve, how are you? And we just started laughing. Now, I haven't talked to Pastor Steve since last fall. But uh, about, uh, let's see, 8, 12, 13 years ago, we were serving both as associate pastors at a church And so as we ministered to people in that church with some other pastors uh, and uh, uh, ministers there at that church, automatically we just pick up where we left off. You you have someone like that? They call, they show up, maybe you haven't talked for a while and you just start where you left off. And we automatically start laughing about things in ministry, uh, things that we begin to ask each other about, uh, checking in on the family and how are things going, but there's joy there and it's like... We, you know, we're thinking back to something from 13, 14 years ago. And the reason is because we had this partnership together in ministry. And the same with the others that we served with, that you can call them or talk to them. And that joy is there because that's found in Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And as you read this short letter, uh, it's filled with re- uh, references to joy. And here, even the first part of the letter, he speaks about the people with great affection that he has for them and the joy that he he has as he thinks of them. Look at verses 3 through 5 in this first point. A joyful partnership is what we see. The Apostle Paul is most likely writing from Rome. He's in prison, and he's most likely chained to a Roman soldier. So put yourself in his shoes, in prison, chained to a soldier, and you're writing to people that you love, and you're writing all about joy. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. What was it that Paul remembered that would bring joy to them? Last week, your assignment was to read Acts chapter 16 as you read through Philippians. And we saw a couple verses in Acts 16 last week that told us about Lydia, a woman who feared God, but when the Apostle Paul uh, and Silas and Timothy show up and they share the gospel, it says the Lord opened her eyes and her ears to hear what Paul was sharing to the gospel. It says she believed her whole family was saved that day. And then we read farther down in Acts 16 after Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown in prison in the stocks at midnight and this earthquake that God uh, causes and this uh, jailer who is over them uh, is ready to kill himself because he thinks that everyone has ran off and in that moment they say, no, we're all here. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And that day that jailer and his family believed in Jesus Christ and were saved. And we don't know of the days that he spent there in Philippi, but he had great memories of time with these other believers. He was very fond of these people, as you see also as he writes in other letters of the fondness that he has for the saints. 
Now, if you weren't here last week, we saw that he calls the believers, the Christians, saints. And we saw last week that that's an okay word. And I warned you not to go home and tell your family, now call me Saint so-and-so. But that's a term uh, for Christians. And he has great fondness and joy and affection for the saints in Philippi. And the reason why is in verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This word partnership that's used, some of you have experienced this. Maybe in school, you are put in a group and, uh, and your teacher has given you an assignment and you've all got to work together. You're partnered to uh, get a good grade and an assignment. Uh, some of you are, have been partnered on sports teams uh, and uh, your goal is to win whatever that event is, that game Some of you have experienced a good partnership in uh, businesses that you've uh, worked for or you've owned and a team of people that are trying to accomplish something. This is the sense of this partnership he speaks of. The word here he uses is a word that some of you may have heard before. It's the word koinonia. It means fellowship, association, community. It means communion. And This partnership that he speaks of is not just uh, him and the church in Philippi, but all believers. So if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a saint in this room, then we have the same partnership that Paul writes to the church at that time. We have that now. And the reason is, is as saints in Christ, we have the same Heavenly Father, We have the same Savior, Jesus Christ the Son, and we are filled with the same Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we have great unity and we have great partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have great joy to be with you, not just on Sundays, but whenever I see you. When I pray for you, church, I have great joy. When I pray for the church in Montebello, California that we were at before here, I have great joy. When I pray for the church in Downey that I served as an associate at, I have great joy. When I think of people that I grew up in Lindsay, California, and I pray for those people, there's great joy that wells up, not just because we had great times of hanging out, not just because we had some fun time doing this or that, and it, but literally this, this aspect of that there's great joy that's found in Christ. And that it's not just something that I can have, we can have believers that are around the world that we may not ever see again uh, in this life, but the joy that we will be with them before Christ for all eternity. And it's found in Jesus Christ. Paul's joy comes not because of these gather, just these knowing each other, but because of Christ. Uh, throughout the years, I've had the opportunity um, to be a part of pastor groups that gather once a month. And there's great camaraderie and great partnership, but there's also great joy. Even when a fellow pastor is really struggling and there's an issue either in their family or in the church, the problem to gather with other brothers in Christ who are serving to minister to the church, there's great joy found there. This is the joy that should be upon your hearts, church, in this place with the believers here in this room and the believers throughout the world, you should have this joy and affection for one another this morning. And you may look around the room and go, I don't even know half those people's names. I don't even know that. I haven't even met that person yet. 
This is the reason for fellowship in the body of Christ. You need to know one another. You need to spend time with one another. And as you find another believer in the room, you're like, oh, this, you're a believer? Praise the Lord. Tell me what the Lord's doing in your life. You can then pray for one another with the same type of joy. The problem is, is that many gatherings uh, of Christians have problems with one another and there is no joy for one another because people are sinners. If you're looking for a perfect church, you will never find it. And so instead of praying with joy and affection like Paul has for one another, we sit totally opposite or we go to different services because we want to avoid those people. Or some of you may even be here because of a past church and a problem with another believer. And you're like, I am going to leave and go to find another church that's better. Um, every church has flaws just like this church because as John writes in 1 John, Christians still battle with sin. And so we sin against one another and we hurt one another. And Jesus has given us his words in how to bring that about and to forgive one another and to go to one another. And so know that Paul has great affection for the church in Philippi. And I think that same thing when I think of you. I pray that that's what is fostered here by the Holy Spirit for one another here in this place. The joy and the partnership that Paul points out here and throughout the letter, though, is rooted in Matthew chapter 28. It may be up on the screen there. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Let's read this together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, or Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, here's the thing. If you're a believer here this morning, that is your mission, and that is my mission. That is the mission of every single Christian who walks this earth. It's to make disciples. It's to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, and praise God that he hasn't said, go and save people. God saves people. But in that process, he employs every one of you to go and declare the gospel so that those people that hear the gospel and believe that he would save. This is the partnership in the gospel that you and I have and the joy that Paul writes of. And so in this morning, I also know that some of you come into this morning as a believer and there's sorrow upon your hearts. You, are, you do not feel joyful. You do not feel happy. You're struggling with something in life. You're battling with something that's gone on. You have a huge weight upon your back. And what happens is our emotions, our feelings are real. But what can happen is that can cloud the truth of true joy that's found in Christ. That's never ending. And so for all of you who are found in Christ now, you have true joy by the Holy Spirit in you, and it's for eternity. And true joy is ever growing because it's found in Christ. The way that the saints in Philippi partnered with the church, if you look through this in chapter 1 and if you read in chapter 4, uh, he mentions some of the ways that the church in Philippi have partnered with him even though he's short, spent a short time with the church. In chapter 1 there, in verses 18 through 20, uh, Paul tells the church in Philippi that they are continually 
praying or pleading with God the Father in prayer for him. In verses 27 through 28, they partner with Paul by proclaiming the truth of Christ in word and deed. So they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ verbally, and they're serving other people, and so the people see Christ in them. In verses 29 and 30, they partner with him in the gospel by suffering in their faith alongside of the apostle Paul. The church in Philippi was being persecuted just like Paul was for the name of Christ. And the fourth thing is in chapter 4 that he mentions in verses 10 through 20 that they partnered with him by financially supporting Paul's ministry. It says even out of their own poverty, the church in Philippi did not have much financially, yet they were generous and gave to Paul. They sent Epaphroditus with needs and gifts to go meet Paul's needs while he's in prison in Rome. And he says, your partners in the gospel ministry of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And as I went through that list and read through Philippians this week, I prayed, Lord, would those same things mark Discovery Alliance Church? That we would be people who plead with our Father in prayer for one another. That we would be those who are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in everything we say and all that we do. That we would also be ready and willing and to suffer for the name of Christ like our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are thrown in prison, who are murdered for the name of Christ. And I was praying that we would also be marked as a generous church who would give of even out of our poverty that we would uh, give, that God would use that for his ministry and the gospel to go out. I'm, I'm very joyful, especially in the last few months, being a part of the ministry of this church. Because one of the things that's encouraging over the last four and a half years of being here is seeing how this joy to be together and this unity in Christ is growing, to see small groups that gather at different times in the week being packed out just so people can spend time in the Word of God together, to pray for one another, to eat a meal together, to gather in the name of Christ to uh, gather on Sunday nights and to fellowship together and then sit around tables and eat and pray for one another and encourage one another. To, it's a good thing, especially when you're serving as an elder in a church and a pastor in a church, when someone comes up and says, how can I serve? You're like, what? Sometimes it's kind of you just take a step back because you're like wanting everyone to serve one another in the body of Christ. And then you get a few people who say, how can I serve? It's like, whoa. That doesn't always happen every day. And so I am so encouraged to see how the Holy Spirit is moving in your lives and He's bringing relationships together to hear you pray for one another, to hear you serve one another. Those are joyful things. And so with joy this week, I thought about you and thought about what God is doing because of our unity in Christ. And we can say thank you. And Holy Spirit, continue to do that in us. At the same time, I pray that this is none of you, but believers around the world um, sometimes don't want to partner with one another. I just have my partnership with Jesus Christ, and I come to church, and that's it. And that is a very real struggle among believers in this world. I only need fellowship with Christ. I really don't need fellowship with the church. 
There's also the temptation of things to just stay away, to just be online. At least I'm being fed. When you need the body of Christ, it's clear from Scripture how God has built His church that you need one another to serve one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. And I think sometimes part of this problem comes from a lack of trust because of past experiences. I am not going to get involved in a group. I'm not going to serve in this way. I'm going to stay my distance. I'm not going to be a part of the church fully because I got burnt at a last church. Because this person said this to me, and I walked in, and I was a part of the church, and someone said something, and it made me think back to that. We get hurt in life. That's true and real, and even by other believers. And so what happens is when we get hurt, we don't want to trust. We don't want to be all in. And so if I could just be partly in, as long as I'm good with Christ and being fed by Christ, then I'm good. I really don't need to take part of the body of Christ and know that that is how the enemy would want the church to be. Because all that leads to is division. You need to be all in, in the body of Christ, in that sense, for one another, because we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, the hope of glory. So would you pray with me that Christ would continue to do the unifying work in the church? There are people, as I look around here on Sunday mornings, and people where I know where they sit, some people that are gone this morning, I don't know where they're at. They may be sick, they may be traveling, but does the body of Christ know when someone in the body of Christ is missing, or if they're hurting, or if they have a need? The only way you will know that is by purposely building relationships, is by purposely being involved in the body of Christ, by purposely forgiving one another as someone hurts you, and trusting that Christ is building his church, trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit among the believers. Again, there's no perfect church, and we are not a perfect church. One day, all the saints will be perfect in Christ, and which we'll look here in a minute in verse 7. And so he writes of this joyful partnership, and he writes with this joyful assurance. There's a joyful assurance that he has as he writes this letter, that Paul, even as you read the other letters, there's an assurance that he has that's found in Christ uh, that we all need to have and grow in. Uh, I might have asked this before. Do you know anyone who is good at starting projects but never finishing them. Now, if it's your spouse, don't elbow them. Don't tell them, hey, remember the garage. Remember this here. I know some of you are like, man, I've got like 40 books on my shelf at home that I started and I never finished. I read the first few chapters and got whatever out of it and I I never finished. Uh, I mean, there's the temptation for some of us to start something and to leave it to the side and for all kinds of reasons. But Paul writes with joyful assurance uh, because of the work God did and was doing at Philippi. Here's one of those uh, verses that uh, I told you that Christians have them on coffee cups or you know whatever on the wall hanging up. Verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I read that and I say, praise the Lord God Almighty. 
because he does the work and he finishes the work. And when we realize the work of salvation that God does, the weight on our back is gone because he's the one who saves. Salvation belongs to God. He says, I'm sure of this. Look at verse 6 there. It means to be completely convinced of something. Great confidence. Think of something that you are completely convinced in. You're like, no wavering. This is what he writes in that sense, and he's completely sure of God and his work. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. As, I, as we read this, you look at the fact that he's taking joyful, he has joyful assurance, assurance in what God has promised to do in salvation. And with that, in Hebrews 6, verse 17, it says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Did you see verse 18? It is impossible for God to lie. If God promises and he lies, he's not God. And so when you read verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1, that he who began a good work will complete it, it's a promise of God. That means there is no change in his plans when he starts the good work of salvation in a person. It doesn't mean that he saves someone and gets halfway through and is like, uh, no, I don't like that person. I changed my mind. He doesn't change. And we could praise the Lord for that because throughout Scripture, if God changed, I mean, it'd be a horrible thing. But God does not change. And He always fulfills His word. And so Paul says back in verse 6 here, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he writes and teaches us here that salvation begins and ends with the Lord God Almighty. And so he said, He who began a good work in you, know this, salvation begins with God. And here's a key word here. Look in the text. It says there in verse 6, the word began. This word here, inarchomai in the Greek, it's only used two times in the Bible. It's only used two times ever here. It means the same thing, to begin something or to start something, the other reference that is, it's used is in Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes to the church of Galatia, and he tells them basically the same thing he tells the church of Philippi. He says in verse 2 of Galatians 3, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? And here's the word, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And what he's bringing up in Galatians and Philippians is this work that God does to save us. And so if you go back to Acts 16, 
When Paul goes into Philippi, Lydia, who already feared God, but it says that she wasn't saved until after, it says in verse uh, 14 of Acts 16, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is this work that the Holy Spirit does in our life when he starts salvation, when we hear the word of God and believe. And we're given the gift of faith in Ephesians chapter 2. Because if you think of this, before uh, you're saved, some of you heard the gospel all your life growing up and you were never saved. But there was a point and you're like, I don't know why at this age it suddenly just clicked and I realized, woe is me, I am a sinner. I am going to die in my sins if Christ doesn't save me. And you heard the gospel and you believed. You did not just have some mind change because you figured out something. It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's John chapter 3, as uh, Jesus speaks to uh, the Pharisee who came to at night, Nicodemus, and said, you must be born again. This picture of regeneration. And he's like, wait, how do you do that? And again, Jesus speaks of God doing that work here in Philippians and in Galatians and the Holy Spirit doing that. In Philippians chapter 1, go back to Philippians. We'll come to this in a couple weeks in verse uh, 29. Paul says, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And if you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, John writes this in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. These are wonderful truths. Because what if that verse said that you're born again by your will? What if it says that you are saved according to your will? What that would say then is you're God. And I hope that you know that you're not God. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning I was like, there was, there was just like a flood of verses. I just kept going and I'm like, okay, I got to cut this down here some, but we got to look at one more. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And I think of Acts 16 and Lydia hearing the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Paul, or Peter writes to the church and he says this in 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise the Lord God Almighty. Again, He does the work. If we did the work, we would be God. But we are not, and so He gets all the glory. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I know we're rifling through these really fast. Someone asked me a while back, how do I get a list of all these scriptures? If you go to the website every uh, week after the sermon's posted on there, if you look at the notes below it, it get, I always have all the scripture in order of how they go through if you're looking up to study this stuff during the week. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writing to the Christians in Ephesus. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. There it is again. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, the reason why we continue to read these things is God is showing us his people that he's sovereign, that he is the savior. He's the one who does the work and he does not call you to be saved by works. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says that we're saved by grace through what? Through faith and not of what? Works of ourselves. It's all glory to Him. And then it says in verse 10, it says, and you were created for good works to the glory of God. But that is what comes after salvation. That's the work that Christ does in us, the Holy Spirit through us. And so, as with Lydia, as with the Roman jailer in Acts 16, as with numbers of accounts we have in Scripture here, once the heart is opened by the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Ephesians 2 says we're given the gift of faith, and He also seals our heart. Now, some of you this morning may, I hope not, some of you may think it is your responsibility when God starts a work of salvation in you to keep doing a work to keep yourself so that you'll be saved. <clears throat> and what happens there is a confusion in the life of the Christian that the good works we do, Ephesians 2.10, is so that we can keep ourselves to be saved. But there's no scripture that says that. Imagine for those of you who have had children and your child is saved or started this work of salvation, what if the scripture said, parent, you have to make sure that your child makes it to heaven? None of you would want to have kids. <clears throat> Imagine if you were serving as a pastor in a church, an elder in a church, and the scriptures said, pastors, elders, make sure the Christians that are brought to your church that Christ is saving, that you make sure they get to heaven. I wouldn't even have a part of that. Because think about how much then that puts it on us. At the same time, many believers believe Christ does this work in us. We are to do good works, but I'm going to do this. I have to do this. I let God down. I have to go this way. And what happens is we lose sight of what Christ starts, he completes. What God begins, he finishes, and all the glory goes to him. Now, this does not at all mean that you get a vacation. You are called to do good works. And the Holy Spirit does that good works in us. <clears throat> but those, don't, those good works do not keep you saved in that sense of what I'm saying. We were in John chapter 10 last month as we were looking through the I Am statements of Christ. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If Christ has begun the work of salvation in you, he will not lose you. And there is nothing, nothing that will separate you from him. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
It says this in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now listen to this as Paul writes this again with that same surety. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? These are the promises of God. And if He doesn't lie as we were reading, and He's going to fulfill everything, He can't lose you. You are not going to fail him. You will sin. You will battle in this world. But it's Christ doing a sanctifying work in you. He is the one doing a constant work in you. And the sooner as believers that we understand that it's Christ doing that work in us, And yes, we need to listen to him and his word and be driven and filled up by the Holy Spirit and doing those good works. The sooner we realize it's him doing the work in us, the easier, or not the easier, but the comfort and the assurance to live in this world that's filled with trouble and all the problems that we have, there's much more joy for the believer. And so salvation begins with God. Salvation is completed or it's guaranteed by God. Paul tells the church here in Philippi in chapter 2, he says, don't stop doing good works. So again, even though we know that Scripture and sanctification, that process, the Holy Spirit working in us, don't lose sight. Just go, okay, I'm going to sit back now. Holy Spirit, do some good work. Make me do some good work today. I mean, we should pray. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Lead me out to do the good works that you call me to do. But to just sit back and lazily sit around and after 10 years, like, oh, I'm still waiting for the Holy Spirit to do a good work in me. I'm still waiting. I know it's been six months, but I know one day the Holy Spirit's going to tell me what good works to go and do. No. Paul writes to the church in Philippi in chapter 2. He says in verse 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, the scriptures are filled that we, we're saved according to the will of God and we live according to the will of God. And as soon as we want to live according to our will, we are storming off to try to do good works for God that he never called us to do. And then we find ourselves out in some field or a top of a mountain. We're like, God, I thought I was going to go do this for you. And he's like, I never called you to go do that work. You did not listen to my words. You thought you were going to do something for my glory, which I never called you to do. So we need to seek the Lord in prayer. We need to, as he's writing of this joyful relationship in Christ and with one another, we need to seek the wisdom of others through uh, the Holy Spirit speaking to them through the word of God that would encourage us. And so we are to do good works. 
We are to hold accountable one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, to do good works. We are to pray for one another to do good works and to spend our time in the Word of God, uh, seeking out these things, that we would do these things for the glory of God. I would point out one thing at the end of verse 6 here, which we will actually look at next week, is it says, at the day of Jesus Christ, that he who begins that work will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ uh, some of you were here last fall in the beginning of this year that we looked at the minor prophets, uh, the, the last small books at the end of the Old Testament. And the day of the Lord kept being mentioned by every one of these prophets. And as we looked at that, the day of the Lord in those minor prophets was always associated with God's wrath upon those uh, who are not Christians at the day of the Lord. And they would have the wrath of God upon them. They would be cast into hell for eternity because he never knew them. Here when it says that the day of Jesus Christ, just know this. As you read Philippians every day, again, take 15 minutes and read Philippians, and you'll read through it every day, or read through a chapter a day. But as you are reading, and when you see the day of Jesus Christ, or you see that in Scripture, it's pointing to the glorious truth of the believer and this word glorification. The day when your soul is made perfect in no more sin and your body is made perfect and joined together glorification and you're with the Lord for eternity. No more stain of sin. No more physical problems like we have in this world because of the fall and because of the curse upon mankind. But a perfect soul, perfect body in Christ for eternity. That's what it means when it says the day of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the last verse here as we bring this to a close. The third and final point is Paul's writing about this joyful assurance and this partnership that he has. He says that we are joyful partakers of grace. Again, this partnership in the grace of God. He says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Again, he's, he's pointing to this unity of the body of Christ that's only found in the body of Christ because he's, he says being partakers or partners uh, with him in grace is that only believers truly know the grace of God, salvation in Jesus Christ. The rest of the world does not. And so he says it's right for me to have this joyful affection for you, the saints, because we are in Christ and he has done a saving work and we are to bear fruit uh, for Christ in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit. He points out here and throughout this letter that they're joint partners with him um, in regards to salvation and good works. Again, Paul was in prison and he writes of them here that they supported him by prayer. How many of you need someone to just pray for you? Just knowing that there's someone praying for you that day can bring so much comfort because the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> he, he is the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven ruling and reigning and he's working on our behalf. That as Jesus Christ prays for us, we know his prayers are always answered because Jesus prays perfect prayers. And so for us to plead to Jesus Christ, and to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ 
That is not at all a little thing. Your prayer might be in an instant, in a moment, like when Nehemiah was approached by the king and says, what do you want me to do for you? And in that moment, Nehemiah prayed. It doesn't even say what he prayed, but I don't know if he just said, Lord, help me here. And then he answered the king. Sometimes your 30-second prayer for a brother or sister in Christ is a powerful thing that God does and works uh, as he answers those prayers. To pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are being persecuted, those who are serving in other states and other countries, that we would be praying for them. I ask that you pray for the elders of the church, that you be praying for them and myself, that we would hear the word of God and be directed. Do you pray for one another? You need to. We're called to do that. Don't take the thought of like, oh, God knows it all. He's in charge. I really don't need to say anything. I've heard people argue with me about that for years. Or someone will say like, oh, I prayed once for that. I don't need to pray again. Yet scripture is constantly pointing out that we are to continue to pray. When Jesus was telling the parable of the woman who wanted justice and she was going to the judge daily, bugging him, saying, give me justice. He finally went, okay, I will. And he says, this was to teach the disciples how to pray. Are you begging and pleading with the Lord? And here's the thing. If we want to know how to pray, we need to pray according to his will, and the only way you're going to do that is according to his word. Pray the scriptures. Go to the book of Ephesians and look at the prayers that the Apostle Paul prays for the church of Ephesus. Go this week and pray those prayers for one another. They're powerful and effective, and God answers Romans chapter 12 says this in verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. If you read the church, uh, read the letter to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses that there as well. And so, do you know if people in the body of Christ here are hurting? Do you know if they are having trouble in this world? Do you know if they have needs that you can meet? The only way you will know that is if you know the people. And so if I could beg and encourage you, if anything, I would beg if you're not a believer to come to Christ today. But as a believer, I would beg and plead with you that you would hear the words of the Apostle Paul and that you would pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be a part of the body of Christ and not just an attender of a group of believers, but to truly know the people of God and to pray for one another and to serve one another. Here's one warning for all who would say that they are believers. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, John writes to the church, to the believers, and he says in verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And I'll just leave it there. In closing, if you're a Christian... And you're here this morning, and you feel maybe as if you're without joy. Maybe you are down and depressed and filled with worry and trouble and all kinds of stuff are upon your mind this morning. I'd encourage you to go read Psalm uh, 42. 
The psalmist writes uh, about this down moment and being down. It says in verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And it says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Some of you are struggling, and you're like the psalmist, and up and down, you're like, oh, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. And it's like all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminds you, oh, my soul, hope in Christ. That's where my true hope is found. How come I forgot that? Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to remind you constantly. Pray for one another that that would be a factor of our life. But true joy is found in Christ and is evidenced in the community of His people. And if you're not a believer this morning, you come to this place maybe thinking that you're a Christian because you attend a church. Know that belief in Jesus Christ alone is the only thing that can save you that you can only have true joy in Christ because Christ died for you according to the prophets, to the scriptures, that he was buried and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And therefore you're told in Romans 10, you repent of your sins, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he has risen from the, from the dead and you will be saved. All for the glory of God. And what he starts he will finish. And we can praise the Lord and say amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have promised and that you do not lie. We thank you that you are the one who is sovereign and that you are the one that begins the work of salvation. You are the one who continues to sustain our salvation in Christ and you are the one who finishes it. And so, Jesus, we long for and look for the day of your return, the day that we will be without sin, the day that we will have a glorified body, that we would be with you for eternity, and our joy would continue to be ever-growing and never-ending. Father, for believers in this room this morning who are struggling with emotions and feelings of lack of happiness for those believers, would you remind them that their true joy is their hope in Christ? Would you fill them with the joy of the Lord this morning to strengthen them? And Father, for all who are far off from you and have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, may they be saved this morning. Would you open their eyes, Holy Spirit, to the truth of the gospel and do that saving work in them? In Jesus' name, amen.